Welcome, Bachelor Creek family. We want to welcome you today, and we're so thankful that you've decided to join us, whether you are in here today in person or watching online. Um, if you are new to Bachelor Creek, if this is your first time with us, I want to introduce myself. My name is Tyler Leland, and I'm the elementary minister here at Bachelor Creek. So to bring you into the world of children's ministry for a minute, I want to share a poem with you that we've been reading to our boys at night over the past few weeks. It's in this book of poems that we got from the library, but every time we get to this poem, it reminds me of what I do in children's ministry because there's a yearly event that happens in children's ministry. If you grew up around the church, you might have went to this event. It's church camp. So this letter that I'm about to read is a letter from camp, and I want you to picture a kid writing this letter home to his parents from camp. My counselor says I have to write. I threw up on my sweater. I had the runs again last night. My rash is getting better. I accidentally scared a skunk. A hornet stung my head. I'm sleeping in a lower bunk. My bunkmate wets the bed. They had to shave off all my hair. I've got a stomach cramp. I don't have any underwear. My socks are mostly damp. I fell out of another tree, and here's a bug I found. I love it here. So long, love me. P.S. I almost drowned. <laughs> if you know kids at all, you know that this is so true, and you could see these things happening at church camp. So if you want to sign up to be one of our camp, camp counselors this summer, you can go to the lobby after the service today, and we'll get you all signed up. I'm just, I'm kidding about that, but I do love children's ministry. And as much as I miss being with the kids today, I also am excited to be in here with you, continuing the journey of Rooted. Last week, Ryan started by asking the question, how can I make the most of my life? And my hope today is that we can continue where Ryan left off because this is a huge question that we all deal with on a regular basis. And I could go around the room today and ask every single one of you to answer this question, and I can guarantee that there would be a wide variety of answers that would be given. And since we're in church, most of the answers that we would give would be the church answer to that question. But if you look at the way that you live your life from Monday to Saturday, that's going to be a way better gauge of how you would actually answer this, of what your true priorities are. Because we think a lot of times that I can maximize my life if I get that next big promotion at work or I can maximize my life if I'm just in the right friends group. Or I can maximize my life if I get a six-pack of abs, or I have a bigger house, or I have an extra two weeks vacation. I know for me, growing up in Indiana and loving basketball, that the thing that I would have said that could maximize my life was being able to slam dunk a basketball. There's a problem, though. As a ninth grader, I was about five foot eight inches tall and couldn't jump over a loaf of bread. So this was a problem, but I knew what I could do. I had seen these things that was, go was going to help me achieve my goal. So I went to my parents and I said, Mom and Dad, I need you to buy me a pair of jump soles. Now, there's a picture on the screen of what jump soles are. You strap them on to your basketball shoes, and they give you a video to do some exercises. But I want to read to you 
the website description of Jump Souls because it'll give you a true picture of what I was hoping for. Jump Souls focus your body weight onto your calves and train you to spring off the balls of your feet. This part's great. Like a powerful cat. I'm doing, by doing the special plyometric exercises in the video, you develop fast twitch muscle fibers in your legs for explosive leaping improvement. Used by slam dunk contest winners and top pro and college teams, jump soles are guaranteed to boost your vertical jump or your money back. Let's just say I should have got my money back <laughs> because I have never been able to slam dunk a basketball. And the closest that I ever got to slam dunking a basketball is when our youth minister, David Diener, got down on his hands and knees and I tried to jump off of his back to slam dunk a basketball and ended up in the hospital thinking that I had broken my arm. So it didn't work for me. But I tell you all this today because when it comes to answering the question, how can I make the most of my life? The target seems to be constantly moving and almost impossible to hit. All of us want to go through life and know that we've made the most of what we've been given. We have big plans, we have great intentions, but is it possible that we're simply aiming for the wrong things? Do you know who instantly pops into my mind when I think about someone who made the most out of their life? There's a group of guys, Peter, James, John, Andrew, Bartholomew, another James, Thaddeus, Matthew, Philip, Simon, and Thomas. These were Jesus' closest friends. We know them as the disciples. But somehow, a bunch of ordinary people like you and like me, they were able to carry on what Jesus started, and because of that, they changed the world forever. People who had struggles, people who made mistakes, people who missed opportunities and had their days of doubts. How is this possible? that ordinary people like us were able to go and change the world and make the most of their lives. Well, the disciples knew that the target for maximizing your life is not a what. The target is a who. And his name is Jesus. So today I want to challenge you with this. If you want to make the most of your life, follow Jesus. And I know that you might be thinking, like, this is the, the church thing to say, right? Like, that's, that's obvious. That's why we're here. We want to follow Jesus with our lives. But my hope today is that we can actually consider, what does it look like to follow Jesus with everything that we've got? And Jesus gives us some very specific clues in the book of Matthew, chapter 25, as he wraps up his final teachings his most urgent message to his disciples, to this group of friends that go on to change the world. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn them to Matthew 25. We're gonna start in verse 31, or you can also follow along on the screen today. But what we're gonna hear from Jesus' teachings is a direct response to what he's seen present in the lives of the Pharisees. Now, we know some about the Pharisees as we read through Scripture, and the one thing that we know is that they were the teachers of the law. So this was the group of people above anybody else that should have got it. They were the ones that knew what God's Word said, and yet 
somehow they were the ones that were furthest away from following Jesus. And I wanna, I wanna read this to you. This is in Matthew 23, so it's two chapters before we get to Matthew 25, which we're gonna look at today. But Jesus gives us a picture of what the Pharisees were like, how they treated other people. Here's what Jesus says of them. They, talking about the Pharisees, tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is for people to see them. They make their phylacteries wide and tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbis by others. The disciples got it. The Pharisees didn't. The Pharisees land in a similar place as us and they missed the target over and over again. No matter how much Jesus taught, no matter how much Jesus tried to point them in the right direction, they just missed the target. So with all this in mind, let's read chapter 25 together, starting in verse 31, understanding that Jesus wants to make it clear what it looks like to be his follower. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep and the goats. He will put the sheep on the right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devils and his angels. For I was hungry, and you did not give me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also answered, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothing or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Jesus' words here are very jolting to us. To read these things, we sit here a little bit in shock because when we think of Jesus, we think of him as our shepherd, as our protector, as the one that cares for us and and is always watching over us, but it's hard for us to think of Jesus as our judge. It's hard for us to understand how a loving God could bless some and condemn others, and yet, in this parable of the sheep and the goats, 
Jesus is both the shepherd and he's also the judge. There's a line that has been drawn in the sand where consequences are handed out and also rewards. And those consequences and rewards are based on a very specific criteria. Both the sheep and the goats are judged on how they respond in the following situations. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat, or you didn't. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink, or you didn't. I was a stranger and you invited me in, or you didn't. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me, or you didn't. So what is Jesus trying to tell his followers here? Is this just a checklist of things that we can go through life and say, oh yeah, I gave someone a drink today, I went to prison and visited some people in prison. I made sure people had clothes today. Is it a checklist of things that Jesus wants us to do? Or is there something deeper that's going on here? What does it look like to follow him? I think if we look at Matthew 25 a little bit closer, we realize that the clue characterizing Jesus' followers is compassion. Let me say that again. The clue characterizing Jesus' followers, the hint that we're giving, the indicator that someone is following Jesus with their lives, it's compassion. Or this is how Jesus puts it in John chapter 13, verse 35. He says, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. I'm a big movie nerd, and I tell you this because, first of all, my wife make sure that I know that I'm a movie nerd. <laughs> but also, anytime I go watch a movie in the theaters, I automatically come home and I go to YouTube and I look up Easter eggs from that movie. Now, that's nerdy because Easter eggs are like these little hidden references within movies. So those references could like be a potential nod to fans, so something that fans might pick up on within the movie, or they point to connections from other movies, or they might even provide a clue for what's to come in that movie. So let me give you a few examples of this so you understand what I'm talking about. <clears throat> Pixar is great at this. Um, and they drop movie hints all the time in their movies, these Easter eggs. So this is the next one. Is there another one in there, like a Pixar one? There we go, yes. So this is uh, from the movie Toy Story, right? So in the first picture, you'll see the guy with the magnifying glass. He has this shirt on that has a skull on it, right? So that's Sid, if you've seen the Toy Story movies. Well, in Toy Story 3, you get this quick glimpse of a garbage man that has that same shirt on. And the director wants you to be able to make the connection that this is the same kid from the first movie. So if you've watched all the movies, you know, wow, look, this is Sid as a high school kid with a summer job of collecting the garbage. I told you it's nerdy. Like, this is not stuff that normal people are usually doing, right? So here's another one. There's uh, Back to the Future. So if you guys have seen the movie Back to the Future, this one's for you. So at the beginning of the movie of Back to the Future, there's a sign that says Twin Pines Mall. Now, Marty goes back to the past in the movie, and in going back to the past, he runs into a tree in that exact location. So knocks the tree over completely. Well, the next, sign, next time you see the Twin Pines Mall sign, it no longer says Twin Pines Mall. It says Lone Pine Mall. So all of a sudden, you've made this connection. Oh, I see what they're doing here. I love this kind of stuff. This is, this is what I like to do and why Adrian calls me a nerd, but that's fine. 
These are blink and you miss it kind of moments in a film. But it gives the viewer some really cool connections if they're paying attention. And I can't help but think that Jesus is dropping Easter eggs through many of his parables that the disciples, that those listening to him maybe didn't catch right away, but later down the line they realized this is what Jesus was talking about. And those same Easter eggs are there for us today, for us to look at and to see this is what Jesus was talking about. And in the parable of the sheep and the goats, those Easter eggs are that external list of stuff that we're talking about. Because the external stuff that he's talking about, providing for the hungry and the thirsty, inviting the stranger in, clothing the naked, looking after the sick and in prison, those are clues to what's happening inside of people who follow Jesus. Our choices actually reveal who we are following in our lives. There's no way around it. What's inside is what come out to all those around us. So Jesus' followers live compassionate lives because they are loved by a compassionate God. It's easy to get focused on the externals, but it's so important for us to know that the internal stuff affects the external. So what does this mean for us today? When we recognize that God loved us so much that he sent his son, and we respond to God's love for us, it's compassion for the least of these that should be the indicator in our lives. That's what separated the sheep and the goats. Compassion spurred by surrender to Jesus. So as we finish today, I want to take a look at three ways that compassion should mark our lives as people who follow Jesus. Because if we want to make the most of our lives, and we realize that making the most of our lives looks like following Jesus, then compassion these things that we're gonna talk about today should be present in our lives because of who we are in Christ. First, our compassion should unexpectedly embrace. Our service to others should come in the unexpected moments of our lives. When you don't even realize that as you're serving, you're serving Jesus. That's what we see in this parable in the response of the sheep and the goats. They didn't even realize what they had done. It was in the unexpected moments when they just stepped up and did what was needed. It's all about responding to the needs as they pop up, completely unaware that it might be more significant than you even realize at the moment. When we shovel a driveway for a neighbor, or rock a baby in our nursery, or send an anonymous card to someone who needs encouragement. As Jesus followers, we do these things out of a response to Christ. The why we do what we do is more important than what we do. The why we do what we do is way more important than what we do because we love because he first loved us. So when a need arises, as people who follow Jesus, we should be quick to respond. And I know what you're thinking, because I've, I've thought similar things in my life. I've thought things like, man, this is, this is just out of my comfort zone. I can't do this. It's too hard. It's too difficult. I am not ready to take that step. Or this really isn't my giftedness. Somebody else can step up and do this, because I have a completely different 
area of giftedness, and I'll use my giftedness to serve, but I'm not going to do this. Or here's one that we use a ton. I just don't have time to do this. My schedule's packed. I have a full week. I don't have time to stop and to help and to use and serve others. But church, these are all excuses. And each one of these I've used myself, but have you ever thought that the nudge that you are feeling in those moments to serve, that you tune out because you have all of these excuses, might actually be Jesus speaking to you? Don't ignore his voice. As people who follow Jesus, we have to do a better job of responding to the unexpected nudges in life. Next, our passion should abundantly overflow. Again, the sheep and the goats response here tells us a lot. They didn't realize what they had done It just overflowed out of them as people who loved Jesus. My college professor, John Weatherly, he sent me an article as I was preparing to speak on this text today. And I think it sums up perfectly what um, we've been talking about. It says, we can serve the least of of these only when we know we are the least of these. We can serve the least of these only when we know we are we are the least of these. That's where it has to begin, overwhelmed by the compassion that we've received. It's completely in awe, like Michael was talking about, of this God who loved us so much to send his son. And based out of that, our response is compassion. It just overflows out of who we are because what's on the inside always splashes out to those that are around us. Wherever we go, whatever we're doing, it just splashes out anywhere we're at, because that is who we are. And let's not forget that compassion should be abundant as well. The comparison, compassion seen in this parable is all-encompassing. It leaves no room for exceptions. It doesn't give us wiggle room to say, you don't have to do this, or I'm going to just avoid doing that. It starts with the easy things, like, I'm thirsty, can I have a drink? But it gets to the more difficult things, like, I'm in prison, will you come and visit me? Compassion for others is supposed to be abundant because Jesus' compassion for us is abundant. There's a speaker and a writer named Bob Goff. Many of you may know Bob Goff. have read one of his books. He he wrote a book called Love Does and uh, Everybody Always. But Bob is a guy that I think personifies overflowing abundantly in everything that he does. And he tells a story about going to an airport, which he went to frequently because he was a lawyer and had to travel different places. And it was like 5 a.m. at the airport. And so Bob Goff says, just kind of looking around and, and seeing who's there, and he sees this one guy taking tickets who has a smile on his face at 5 in the morning. And he thinks, man, how can this guy be so happy at 5 in the morning taking tickets at the airport? So he goes over to him, and he introduces himself. He says, hey, I'm Bob. What's your name? And the guy that's taking tickets got that big smile on his face, and he said, my name's Adrian. And at that moment, Bob Goff said, Adrian, I just want you to know that you remind me a lot of Jesus because of the joy that you have doing this job that you're doing. And Adrian gave him a huge hug in that moment. 
and a friendship was formed because Bob Goff took three minutes to go talk to somebody that he noticed. Church, we all have three minutes if we're actually looking. And he, he goes on to say, every time I went to that airport, I'd take three more minutes and I'd get to know his story. I'd found out about his wife who had left Mexico and came to San Diego to live. And I found out that he had kids and grandkids and he ended up coming over to Bob Goff's house for Christmas. And a friendship was formed and a life was changed forever, three minutes at a time. That's what it looks like to overflow abundantly to those around us. It's just taking the a second to see who's around us and to make the most of the opportunity that has been presented to us. And finally, our compassion should faithfully anticipate. Friends, just like in this parable of the sheep and the goats, Jesus will return one day. The scene from Matthew 25 may have been a story that Jesus told, but it is going to unfold before our eyes. The sky is going to tear open, and Jesus is going to be sitting on his throne as our shepherd and as our judge. And in that moment, everybody's going to know that I have been told what has been required of me. We're all going to be accountable for what he's asked us to do. Each one of us has a choice on how we are going to respond. And the question becomes, what target are you aiming at today? I'll be the first to tell you that I fail all the time at this. I have been jealous. I've let anger take control of my life. I've lied to cover up sin that's been present in my life. I've been apathetic and I've been complacent. I've put others before, I put myself before others. I've intentionally ran away from God when he's asked me to do something. I've neglected the least of these and I know that I will have to stand before my creator someday. And I will have to give account for the things that I've done, for what he's asked me to do. But here's what I also know. Every day we wake up until that moment, we have a choice to make. Are we going to follow him, or are we going to follow what we want to do? If you were to ask me, how do I make the most of my life, I'd point you to Jesus. Because he's the one that became the least of these before we ever did. He's the one that said, I'm going to lay down my life so that you can live. And if your sights are on him, you're going to be forever changed. I know that we're all in different places of this journey towards surrender. But today, I want to invite you to take that next step wherever it is for you. And maybe today, that next step for you is simply hearing more about Jesus. You're not at a place yet where you even believe everything that Jesus said or did. And until you come to the understanding that Jesus is more right than anyone or anything, then that's a conversation we need to have. And we want to have it with you because we know that Jesus is the way. And maybe for you today, you, you already believe that. You believe that Jesus did what he said he was going to do. You believe that he came and he died and he rose from the grave. You believe everything that he said. Today, the moment for you is baptism. 
a moment in time where you plant the flag and you say, I surrender my life to Jesus. I wanna make the most of my life, and I know that making the most of my life means following him with everything that I've got. Or maybe for you today, you're already following Jesus, but you've turned away from him. You've lost focus on the target. And that could be a day that you've lost focus. It could be a week. It could be a year. But wherever you are, it's time to turn back towards him and to know that this is what it looks like to follow. So wherever you are today, we invite you to come. There's going to be a song that plays here in a minute. The, the worship band's going to be playing a, a song. And during that song, we invite you to come. Come forward. Come up here. And, and there will be some elders and staff here today that will <clears throat> be watching that are here <clears throat> to answer that question with you of how can I make the most of my life. They want to talk to you about that. They want to they walk with you in that journey. And, and I, I encourage you, friends, if that nudge... You're feeling it today. Come, let's talk. Let's continue the conversation about what it looks like to follow him faithfully and live a life of compassion. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for Jesus. Oh man, we know that we're here today because of an overwhelming grace from him. And God, we do want to follow you with our lives. And I'm so thankful for the story of the sheep and the goats that really point us to the reality that what's inside overflows out of us. It's, it's who we are in you that changes everything. So God, today in this moment, I pray that those that need to come will come. And that does look different for all of us. I know that there's times where I need to come and, and lay everything down before you to get on my knees and cry out to you and say, God, just take over my life. So wherever people are today, God, I pray that they'll come. I pray that they will lay down what they've been holding on to for so long. They'll shift the focus back to the right target, and they'll follow you with everything they've got. It's in Jesus' name we pray today. Amen. <clears throat>